0: the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code Kara for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so, so excited to have my next guest on. This is Sally Christensen, who is the founder and CEO of Argent. And Argent, you may have seen recently on social, this incredible campaign that I'm sure we will talk a little bit more about with a bunch of bright pink suits. I'll leave it there and we'll get the scoop from Sally on it. But it was such an amazing campaign that everyone was talking about. I'm thrilled that she is here. As I mentioned, she's the founder and CEO. It's a clothing brand. I actually tried and purchased items from the clothing brand at a conference that I went to called Chips. And it was where I found these incredible suits. I'm like, what in the world is this brand? So that was a few years ago. Sally and I met very, very briefly at one of those conferences that I was at where she was Building out her brand and her name, which is a whole other topic that I can't wait to get into how they really got the brand name out there by being involved in a lot of conferences. And more than anything, her founder story on how she switched industries and decided to start Argent. We're going to get all into that. So welcome, Sally.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Very excited to have you. So let's start at the beginning. I'd love for you to share with our listeners, kind of, how would you describe Argent? Like, what is the brand?
1: Yeah. So Argent is workwear that you actually want to wear to work. So my background is as the consumer. I worked in finance and supply chain and in tech most recently, and have always been confused as to why finding something to wear to work has been such a struggle. Mm -hmm. And it's been a shared pain point across every peer group that I've had in every city that I've worked in. And um, I was working at Cisco Systems in San Jose, I read a study that showed that women are judged based on appearance. For the first time, they quantify the impact of what you wear on your bottom line over your lifetime. It ends up being really significant for women. And so, um, that was my aha slash fuck it moment. Like I'm just going to go for it and, uh, start this brand that I think is very much missing. So if it's going to matter this much, then let's solve it from a product perspective and introduce, uh, functional, versatile, stylish quality workwear. And, in in parallel, to me, the thing that really excited me was more on the mission side of how do we tell stories of women that are doing incredible work and do them justice and, like, inspire the next generation of leaders and creators because that really was not being done. Uh,
0: So that was really our origin story. So we launched in 2016. Amazing. So, so, so great. I want to go back, stay on this for a minute. So did you Dream of running a fashion brand? I know how I landed in tech many years ago and I never in a million years knew how I got there. But did you ever think that Sally was going to be doing a fashion brand?
1: Absolutely not. I. I knew that I wanted to start a company. I'm just an entrepreneur. It's in my blood. Uh-huh. And I think everyone's path to that is different. And so for me, I chose like a very corporate path with, I got my MBA. And so I wanted like the classroom and real world experience to go into starting a company because in my mind, like that gives me context and sets me up for success. And uh, for years, I feel like I just kept coming back to this pain point and avoiding it, to be honest, because I didn't want to be in fashion. I did not want to be in apparel. And then once I read this study, it was just the catalyst for me. It was kind of the push that I needed. And uh, and now here we are. But no, my background's very much in business and not at all in apparel.
0: So when you started thinking about doing this, it sounds like you had to get over your own sort of hurdles of, you know do I really want to be doing this? I mean, is this sort of my calling? But when you decided to actually make the move, what was kind of the first steps in actually figuring out how do I do it?
1: Yeah. So I knew that in order to really fully commit, I had to just quit my job and go all in. So I was in a job that was full-time and then some. I was truly not sleeping. I was working in cloud at Cisco, which was a new initiative that had $2 billion in funding and was just growing so quickly, but with it was somewhat directionless. And there were a lot of demands from everyone on the team. And so there wasn't really extra time to be had during my work day. And so I just quit. I put in my notice and my outlook was the worst thing that could happen is I re-enter the corporate world in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And that path is always there. Like it's not going anywhere and it'll be a really good experience. And so having told myself that I just quit and went in. Um, The first thing that I did uh, was just look at a business plan template and kind of like Flash through it. I didn't write a business plan. I just looked through it all and was like, okay, I can like mentally prioritize what needs to happen when and started having conversations with folks for like three to six months. I would say that I was just networking and trying to put the pieces together. A huge piece of it was finding someone on the creative side that had a skill set that I did not have.
0: How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year.
1: Hmm? Um, Which was actually designing the product. So um, yeah, so the first six months or so was
0: really just preparation more than anything. And did you feel like you needed to start, like, with a certain number of items in order to have sort of, like, a collection that people could purchase? What was sort of the thinking?
1: Yeah, so from day one, I wanted to look legitimate. I don't know if that was the right call or not in hindsight, because um, to build a successful business in apparel, focus, mad and, like, not um, buying into product that you can't sell or not going, you know, like you have to be really smart about your cash. I think that's true of any Mm -hmm. company. Uh, but yeah, from day one, I think I just wanted to have a full collection, full offering styling options, um, not just launch with one piece or a couple of pieces. So we, in our launch collection had 35
0: unique pieces
1: I still That's remember amazing. It. I can tell you about all of them too. <laughs>
0: yeah. So it, it's interesting because obviously Cisco, you know, you're dealing in bits and bytes and cloud and, you know, versus physical goods. I mean, how hard was it to sort of jump into the physical goods space? And it, like, were you, did you fear it? Did you just not even know what you were up against? I mean, how did you think about it?
1: Oh, I was so naive. I think that, uh, Ignorance is bliss. I don't know that I would have gotten into this had I known all of the watchouts, but that's not actually true. Like, I have such conviction in what we're building that I will muscle my way through all hurdles. Like, I'm just, I believe that women deserve what we're building. And so, like, end goal is really what drives me. That said, I mean, I've driven so many U-Hauls. I have cleaned bathrooms. I have literally done it all. And it's such a high-touch industry. Tech is very easy, comparatively speaking. Apparel is impossible. I mean, you've got a whole host of challenges that you're dealing with at every step all the way to end customer. And the expectations are very high on the customer side and they're only getting higher as a result of this like immediacy, you know, everyone expects just sort of like Amazon level service. And so...
0: Uh, It's a challenging industry. Yeah, I did not come in eyes wide open. So interesting. I felt like coming from the tech industry, every day you were trying to add on to the puzzle that wasn't built. Obviously, you're working in cloud. That's all really new future stuff. But then you jumped into an industry that is apparel right? It might not be done exactly the way that you're doing it, but I'm sure you had many doubters out there who were like, Sally, I mean, you're fashionable, you're like super smart, but you have no idea what you're doing. I mean, how did you sort of tackle that?
1: I think that the first, even when I was leaving Cisco, I remember telling people and there was an epiphany that happened. I'm not sure when it happened, but the majority of people that I talked to, I realized couldn't envision what I was actually saying. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but like pitching the company, even I would show like physical drawings and sketches of what we were building. And uh, most people that I talked to were like, I don't understand what you're talking about until I see it. So I almost felt like I had to do it in order for people to understand what we we're doing. And um, yeah, there was a lot of yeah, I don't know how to explain what happened, but most people just kind of looked at me blankly and were like, oh okay. So it takes a very, like a naive confidence uh, yeah. but a, and a little bit of vision.
0: Yeah. In yeah. Those were some to, funny
1: conversations, though. Yeah. In order for people to, like,
0: come on board. I don't know. I love looking back at those and, and even remembering the conversations. I was talking to somebody about this the other day that, you know, looking back on the doubters and then hearing or remembering they often remember the conversation very differently. Like, I always knew you could build it. And I'm thinking, no, you didn't. You were like, what in the world are you doing building a beverage company? And and you had, right? And I'm sure that you'll have those people as well along the way.
1: Well, and I also think early days, I didn't really know how to speak to what we were building, at least not in a very compelling way, because I was still figuring it out. Like, I just knew that there was a gap in the market. I knew that there was a better option, and I don't know that I'd fully formed what that was yet. And so I think I was prematurely having some conversations, too, when I left Cisco because I hadn't fully gotten started the people who did not believe in what we were building, that's a whole different conversation. I mean, we were told I'll never forget, we were told by a very reputable VC that utility doesn't belong in women's product. Huh. And Okay. Yeah, <laughs> in a male, like a white male investor, which is unsurprising. And you're like, cool, what experience do you have with that? But something that we've really become known for are our functional details. So like we have interior pockets on all of our jackets that women have not gotten historically, and that' has been such a huge differentiator for us. We have bands in the sleeves of our blazers, so you push them up and in our blouses. You push the sleeves up, it holds them in place. We have a jumpsuit that has a back tuck so you don't have to take the whole thing off to use the restroom. Like Just these day-to-day innovations that are intended to streamline the professional woman's you know, work life and life, um, and we were just getting feedback like that that was just inspirational more than anything, to be honest. Like I I loved those and I still love those. I look back on those and get motivation from them.
0: I think it was absolutely brilliant to go out early on and find your audience. And, you know, you weren't just setting up a website and buying growth more than anything you were actually going and setting up in conferences you and I had met at one of the conferences. Do you want to share a little bit more about that story?
1: Yeah, so... For better or worse, I think I really found the idea of like getting your first 100 customers and making them fall in love is how you build a successful company. And I think I'd heard that from Brian Chesky from Airbnb. And so I, with that in mind, uh, looked at the women's conferences that I went to when I was at Cisco and thought, wouldn't that be cool if we created a pop-up experience within these Convention centers, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 like popped up alongside like the Pfizer booth and the Bank of America booth, you know. And it's like we ended up going to it was the Silicon Valley. It was like a Silicon Valley Valley Women's Conference. It was in San Jose, day one of business. So we showed up with a U-Haul and product, and we're so excited. We're literally receiving product from, like, our manufacturing partner at the convention center. And it was, like, 6,000 or so women that are all roughly our target demographic that were busy. And so it was a little bit of, like, proof of concept, right? Let's see how they interact with the product. It was the most exciting day in our history still for me. It was really just so incredible, Women had, like, physical reactions to the product. Their jaw would drop. We sold so much product. Um, it was very physical, but it was very informative. I, we continued that model, and now we're starting conferences again uh, just because it is so energizing and motivating its a great customer acquisition channel. It's not scalable, And it's not always um, predictable. Some conferences are tens of thousands of dollars in revenue and others are, you know, thousands maybe. Uh, And so – when we launched back in 2016, there was an arbitrage opportunity um, in the Facebook like performance marketing world that we didn't fully capitalize on. So that would be like a learning for me. Um, but I don't think we were totally ready at that point. So we spent more time and money probably on like physical activations
0: than we did digitally.
1: Um, but I just don't think we were quite
0: ready either. So. Well, and I think you're also getting your audience and and watching people try it on. And there's, you know, lots of aspects to it that I think you're not going to get from uh, trying to build your funnel. And, you know, it's a a different type of of experience and you're building your brand too. So, um, and that is definitely where I saw it uh, first was at the CHIPS conference. And I think uh, Malin, uh, who has... uh, also purchased quite a bit, I think, in the past, and and you know her. She, I think, said to me first, "Oh, you have to come and see this." And definitely, you uh, have built up an amazing group of people who absolutely love what you're doing, and and um, I am one of them for sure. So, recently, you partnered with the non. Profit women's advocacy community called Supermajority to launch the pop-up in New York City dubbed The Voting Suits You. And it was an incredible campaign with so many influential people that were a part of it and really encouraging voter registration. And it's running, I guess, the campaign's running through the midterm elections. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? How did you get the idea? Why did you decide to do it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll start by touching on just the community that we built. I think you're exactly right. We have put the blood, sweat and tears into building Argent and we've been cultivating relationships with this powerhouse group of women for such a long time. I think the reason we've had such success with that, though, is that it's such an underserved market when it comes to apparel. Like it really is for women of all backgrounds, it's been this shared pain point. And so I think that, you know, we've just been really fortunate to get to know all of these women through this like common shared pain point, for lack of a better description. We're obviously very mission oriented. We're for women all day, every day. That is our number one. We'll do anything to give women the tools they need to optimally navigate their career. Obviously, like, It starts with the close, but um, we really want to leverage our platform in whatever way is beneficial to women. And so this supermajority opportunity presented itself first in 2020. We ran a campaign uh, around the election that ended up just really having major pickup and it did have really meaningful impact. And so given the urgency of the midterms and how critical this election is to women specifically. Uh, we thought it was a really good opportunity to partner with them again and bring back the pink suit. And the physical component was new because in 2020, obviously, we we're all in COVID lockdown. And so we decided to launch with a physical activation in New York. And we invited folks into this experiential pop-up that was really intended to inspire women around action um, and really, you know, point them toward an action plan of how we can focus our energy in this moment. Because I think a lot of us feel a bit directionless. um, And so Supermajority has a very robust action plan. And for us, it's about plugging uh, women specifically into that and ensure, you know, we maximize the impact and hopefully a positive outcome come
0: election day. Definitely. Well, it definitely was all across my feed and you did such an amazing job with it. So it was uh, really, really strategically just important in, in many, many ways to see your brand attached to this. How do you feel... Your brand has changed since 2016, so you're, you know, obviously trying to get the right merchandise, the right quality fit, all of those kind of things I would imagine back in 2016 when you started. Now you launch this campaign that really is attaching your brand to a specific action that you feel is really, really important, but I'd love to hear how you think your company has changed over time.
1: Yeah, a lot and none at the same time. So I would say day one, I had a very clear vision in terms of what our end goal was, which was really to be the workwear authority and a destination for women to connect with one another, a community of like-minded individuals, all ambitious in their own way, and for us mm-hmm. to be supportive in that in that journey. And so that hasn't really deviated since, since day one. The visuals to support that, the product, the imagery, everything under the sun, even some of the verbiage and language has changed a lot, I think, since day one. Um, we had the luxury, and I, I don't know if that's really what you can call it, but of, of time these last couple of years during COVID to really step back and get our arms around what we were building and reset. Uh, come, it, This is a new moment in time for us. And we're seeing demand like we've never seen before because women are going back into the office in a post-COVID world. And we've just been biding our time and waiting for this moment. So I think for the first time, we're fully delivering on product in a way that we haven't since day one. Um, so my original vision of, of what Argent looked like is is finally for the first time being realized on a product level. It's taken us... Six years to do that. Um, but I think for the, you know, we have the right creative director. We have the best team we've ever had. The timing, which I think is the most important thing in building something successful, is now in our corner. Workwear is dominant right now in apparel. We just launched in Nordstrom. We're opening a store in New York City at the end of the month. So, and we just relaunched the Supermajority campaign. So, um, a lot. Has changed, I think, visually speaking, uh, and we've also built out our editorial arm. So we're doing more storytelling, which has always been a goal of mine. But I didn't want to do it prematurely. Um, mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're highlighting incredible women such as yourself. Like we're highlighting those career paths and, like, uh, you know, just sharing women's journeys uh, in a way where hopefully, like, it is informative to the next generation and it's educational and, uh, it's, it's in an effort to scale really busy women's time, um, you know, in a way that sort of is a gift to the next generation. So, um, I feel like our impact and footprint has grown and we're, uh, we have our arms around like what we, what our brand identity is in a way that we definitely did not in 2016 or 17 or 18 or 19.
0: (laughs) Well, you uh, (laughs) you fooled us because you are. uh, It it seems really smart what you're doing on many many levels. What are the biggest wardrobe wardrobe wow? That's a tongue twister this morning. Woes (laughs) as uh, people return to the office. So right now,
1: women are very very like it, it. Generally speaking, I would say our consumer wants to be told what to wear. That's always been the case. Mm -hmm. For the first time, she really feels like she has no clue in terms of what's in style anymore, what's appropriate, how to dress. It's like we are all out of practice a little bit. And so um, we have had women come in and just do full wardrobe overhauls, and they want – Um, they want to really be told, like, full-on styling from head to toe, shoe, everything, uh, because I think it's a little bit daunting getting back out into the working world. Um, The other piece that COVID did was accelerate this move towards, like, casualization of the workforce and I think I've had an eye on that since day one, um, simply as a result of having worked in tech, uh, where the dress code has always been a bit more informal. Um, Mm -hmm. But we actually partnered with a brand called A. Goldie, and we are launching denim this fall. And so when I say we've, like, realized Arjun on a product level in a way that we – haven't historically delivered on, it's because we're now offering sweaters and denim for the woman working from home all the way up to like full suiting for women working, consulting and like law or the White House, et cetera. Um, So it's really about versatility and getting more mileage out of the pieces. Um, But yeah, there are a lot of wardrobe woes at the moment, I think. Um, And it feels like we are a solution for the work-specific challenges that women are facing.
0: And I feel like you've also... Brought, brought in brighter colors and not just the pink suits, but other things that I think people, uh, you know, make people smile. And our ha- it's not just about gray and navy and black that will always be there, but it seems like there's a lot more color coming out as well.
1: Absolutely. It's called uh, dopamine dressing is what they're calling it in the industry. Uh, We've been known for color since pretty early on. Um, It's been awesome to watch women really embrace color in a way that uh, is an extension of like their personal brand within the workplace because it very much like uh, the insight of why we founded Arjun is that people are paying attention to what you're wearing. And so the positive side of that is people are paying attention to what you're wearing. So use it to your advantage. And uh, we've seen women really lean into that. So yeah, we table stakes would be your blacks, your navies, your wardrobe, you know, building blocks, but we have a lot of color and we've seen a huge appetite for color, which I love.
0: You mentioned partnerships. So A. Goldie, there are a number of amazing brands out there today that are uh, doing partnerships, Kith and Gucci, and and obviously you're doing one with A. Goldie. Uh, Do you think that that is a big change for, and maybe sort of the future of, of brands, especially apparel. I feel like there's a lot going on right now, which is, it seems to be definitely what consumers are interested in.
1: Yeah, I think that um, everything's gotten a bit more saturated. We all are aware of all the iOS changes. So performance marketing has gotten mm-hmm. more expensive for brands. And so figuring out a way to uniquely add value, but also acquire consumers. Um, that's, I think, top of mind for every founder is how do I break through to new consumers and grow like that top of funnel um, pipeline. And so I would say most most successful without a doubt are uh, brand partnerships. So finding brands that are like-minded, shared audience where, you know, there will be some overlap, but it's, you know, you have a similar target demographic. It's incredibly additive. And, uh, those, those are in our experience, the best way to lowest customer acquisition costs,
0: um, best way to get people into the brand. I love it. And it's, uh, definitely I'm excited for, for that collection for sure. What have you enjoyed most about being a creator?
1: Oh, it's so fun. Uh, So I think that, and you know this better than anyone, I think that everyone thinks like being a founder is so glamorous and so sexy and like you control your own schedule, et cetera. I mean, 90% of the time I'm stressed about who knows what, whether it's people related or money related or a whole host of things, fit issues, supply issues, et cetera. But when I really get to put my energy into what we're building, like that's where I would say I thrive. And that's why I do this work. Um, So I just I love watching our product in action, like in being the smallest part of women's like huge career moments, you know, and milestones. So um, I think just figuring out how we can do storytelling around that, how we can highlight these women, how we can like bring the professional woman to life in a way that just hasn't been done before. That's I mean, that's. The most exciting. And then we're also connecting fashion with working women. And I don't think there's historically been much of a connection there because work has historically been unsexy in a really easy category where it's like, oh, you make a pencil skirt and you make a suit and shrink and pink it and whatever. Um, We're really like, um, creating conversation between our creative director who's been in fashion for two decades and people like Leah Sullivan, you know, for, who started TaskRabbit or Huma Abedin or yourself, like bringing in these just powerhouse, incredible women and having them be part of the conversation, the design process, and then watch that clothing out in action. Like that's, I mean, I could talk about like the the fun side of the business all day long because that's what gives me
0: my energy to do the 90% of the shit work, you know? I love it. So, we have a number of people on the show that share stories about challenges. Um, I'm big on sort of like looking at lessons that have happened along the way for founders because I think too often too, we focus on everything good that's happened in companies and where you really see the the athletes here, the people that sort of get through those challenges. And as one great founder said to me I guess at the beginning of the pandemic, it's like everybody gets knocked down, but it's the people that actually get back up again and how they did it. That's the gold stories where everybody really loves to hear. So I'd love to hear if you have any of those challenging times uh, along the way. There's uh, lots of opportunities, I'm sure, in the last six years to have those kind of experiences, but I'd love to hear any that come to mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hate to go with the most obvious one, so I'll I'll touch on this one and then I'll share a different one. But the most obvious one for us would be COVID. I mean, I was eight and a half months pregnant. We are a workwear brand. We are dressing women to go into the office, and we all stopped. The world stopped, mm-hmm. and I think some brands benefited from that, and we were on the very extreme end of the spectrum that we just got crushed. Um, and so it was a very intentional decision to survive. Uh, And it came with like crushing decision making. And I mean, the consequences were just we spent years getting to a point where we had line of sight to scale where we were where we were preparing to launch our first wholesale partnership in 2020. We had just opened four stores with, you know, our seed raise and we're like rocking and rolling and uh instead you know I was having very different conversations having to furlough our retail team having to lay off some team members um having to close office like having to just make every like brutal decision that you just didn't that we like literally in no scenario and no risk planning equation had i ever anticipated this we had customers returning product because they had no like, instead of having zero dollar days, we had, like, negative days because people were sending, cl- you know, stuff back. It was just – uh, I got – a I'll, I vividly remember getting a text from an investor that was a CNN article that said, like, work is – work as we once knew it is dead forever and then it followed by we should talk. And Ugh. it's like <laughs> – <laughs> Huh. Wow. So – um yeah I mean the last 2 years have been insane I can I it's so intense and um traumatic for all of us in varying degrees but like I had a newborn and then was also just like just surviving you know and so yeah. I mean that's really the that's the most obvious one, but there are one million other So challenges what do you think is the biggest
0: well. lesson that you learned from that time as a company, as a new founder? Do you do everything in the US as well? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of founders who have talked about like supply chain outside of the US and and that was really hard. So you didn't have really that issue.
1: I'll take that back. We do have a manufacturing part. We have two. We we do t-shirts out of Peru, and we have a manufacturing partner in Portugal. But that's newer for us, and we really scaled with them like starting mm-hmm. in the last year. Um, so we do have some supply ch- chain challenges, and I think God, everyone has supply chain challenges. The biggest learning. It's funny. I have always said have if you're going to start a company like believe in what you're building and believe in the end goal because without it like you won't be able to survive this was the ultimate test of that for me the thing that allowed me to survive was looking at what we'd built looking at our supporters um and recognizing that we had a cap table. So like a list of investors who were all in it for the right reasons. And I wanted to like do right by them. And we had customers who like stuck with us throughout that also wanted to see us survive. So I think it was that, that collective community of individuals that I felt like deserved for like us to get our shot, Um, coupled with my conviction and the fact that I really do believe women deserve Argent and what we're building because there just isn't, a company that's catering to working women in this way. And um, we're shed on in so many ways as is, is working women, you know, it's just really challenging and gender inequity is like every which way you look. And so um, I think for me, the lessons are involve people that you really want in your company In your company, like take checks from people that you want to take checks from. And yes, that's a luxury, but I have said no to people in moments of desperation, even just because, Those are the people that, like, you're going to be asking to show up in um, the hard times. And so for us, the last two years were hard times. We did have to raise money from existing investors, and they all showed up for us at different points of time in the last two years, Um, you know, and get a team that, like, you want in your corner. I think another learning for me for the past, like, six, seven years has been, to really hire the right people. And yes, that's easier said than done, but I've had to figure out a formula to like where I'm not projecting my passion onto people and then hiring them because they're, you know, sort of becoming this, um, like I think early days, and I don't know if you did this, but like I would essentially be so excited about what we were building that I would hire people because I projected that onto them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so figuring out how to get the right people involved and like, you know, filter the right way. Um, Yeah. And then just to have belief in what you're building. I I think think those are my big ones.
0: Yeah. I think that's really, really key. First of all, you touched on this, getting the right people investing in your brand That are not just going to write checks for the success, but also they're going to write checks to be supportive. And I think that we're all going to have challenging times. Some of these times we're not going to be able to project for sure. Uh, So, but I think, you know, more than anything, bringing in people that can actually be super, you know, supportive is absolutely key. And it's interesting. I was just sharing along the lines of what you were talking about with an entrepreneur the other day that wanted to hire somebody in um, to kind of take some off of her plate. And, you know, she has a friend from business school. She had been in banking, so therefore she could be the CFO. And the chief operating officer had never worked in the industry that this entrepreneur is in, uh, didn't have any experience. And I said, you're going to be teaching. You're not going to be, take this, right? And, And I said, that's going to be hard and for you to yes. do it. And uh, I think that until you actually have been through it, and I think every founder in every industry understands that, you want to believe that people uh, can do certain things that you can do because they're smart and all those things. But more than anything, I think it ends up to be some people can and some people can't more than anything. so. You are going into stores like Nordstrom, and I'm so excited to see those partnerships as well. So very, very excited about that. One last question. So when do you know that you've made it? So (laughs) as as a founder, that you're like, I've made it. Oh, man, what a tough question. Right? I want to hear you answer that too. I don't,
1: I mean, I really don't know. I um. Yeah, I feel like we're still figuring it out. You know, like the landscape has changed. Everything's changed the last couple of years. I have learned so much, even just listening to you talk about consulting, uh, entrepreneur and hiring. Like I've learned how to hire. I've learned people. I've learned how to put all the pieces together in the right way with what we're building. And now um, two things have changed in the last couple of years. One is distribution and so, and, um, and direct marketing and customer acquisition and the future of retail right now, I would say is omni-channel. So figuring out how to diversify your revenue streams. And so for us, that means we're onboarding Nordstrom and we're exploring other wholesale partnerships and other creative ways to capture customers, grow our community. That was not the case, you know, a few years ago. Um, The other thing is that the fundraising landscape has changed a lot. So venture capital is not really like well-matched for what I'm building, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. And I think that we've seen a real shakedown in the last couple of years of like overfunded, a bit of a bubble. And so, you know, what fundraising looks like now go forward for us is different uh, in terms of whether
0: we've made it god that's such a tough question to answer i really and, am like squirming in my chair well and there's uh you know i think more than anything the consistent thread is that you know most founders have a hard time even, no matter where they're at in in their yeah. journey because they're always thinking about the future and the build, and it's fascinating. I mean, they have milestones along the way that they're meeting. That's right, um, for sure. But it's uh, it's supposed to be a stumper, so you you pass Sally for sure. So, <laughs> uh, but it's it's one that I think we all think about. Really, it's industry agnostic um, because it doesn't matter, and it really doesn't matter if you've raised money from private equity or individuals or never raised money. I think it's always this idea that it's ongoing.
1: It's so true. That target is like constantly moving. And so I can look back and tell you, you know, when we started, our revenue was here and then it jumped to they're just milestones like they're predictable milestones and your challenges change at each hurdle. But you totally forget what the past was like and you're only focused on the future. So, yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer. I will say we had a launch event with Nordstrom. It was one of the only times in this journey that real time I had like very, I had pride in like what we had accomplished in that moment. And that is, that was like, I really tried to embrace that because I, I just don't think that we're good at that. Right. Like I think founders are constantly moving the goalpost. And so that was, um, that was pretty special because I really haven't had many of those and it's been a long time. So yeah, million dollar question.
0: Well, super enjoyed speaking with you, and thanks so much for sharing your journey and all of the lessons along the way. We'll have all of the information about Sally and Argent in the show notes, too, so that you can definitely find it online, or as she mentioned, she is going into Nordstrom's and has some other uh, stores that are opening, too, so definitely look out for it and look out for it at conferences too. And maybe you'll get a chance to meet Sally as well. She's so terrific. So thank you again, Sally. Thanks for having me. This was great. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for